The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Want to become best friends with the single most powerful person in the country? Whether she's a Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter, we'll untie the purse strings and give you the inside track on today's woman. How to capture her attention, grow her loyalty, and create such enthusiasm about your company or product that she spreads the word with her friends and family. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Purse strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Retan, senior principal at Carmichael Lynch Spong. As she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And good afternoon. Welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings right here every Tuesday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. You're going to learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country. The 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending. The woman. Well, first up, Nan McCann. We've had her on the program before. She's the founder of PME Enterprises, the folks who create the Marketing to Woman Conference. Now, that conference just wrapped up in Chicago just the other week. And from all reports, it was among the very best yet. And I had to miss it, unfortunately, because I was out of the country on behalf of a client. But the closing keynote speaker was WNBA President Donna Orinder. Now, Nan previewed it a bit when I was uh, unable to admit it to to miss that, and she actually posted it in an article on her company's e newsletter. Uh, ESPN announced that they have formalized plans for a new product and strategy geared toward women's sports. I thought that was really interesting. The initiative is called ESPN. W. It would not only assist in developing content and plans for current ESPN programming and media, but would also look at launching its own standalone properties. Now, I have to assume that's because women are really into sports. We're driving a lot of sports programming, and it's just not a man's world any, anymore. Now, according to Nan and Donna in her closing keynote, she's saying participation in women's sports is indeed growing, not only in high schools and colleges, but professional organizations. And that, yes, we do play many, many games out there, but we're also attending it and supporting our favorite teams. Apparently, women make up nearly 47% of all MLB fans, 43% of NFL fans, and nearly 41% of NHL fans. That's pretty amazing. We spend 80% of all sporting apparel dollars, and we purchase uh, 46% of official NFL merchandise. I had absolutely no idea. So pretty darn interesting. Apparently, when it comes to the WNBA, um, you know, that audience skews heavily female, and the TV audience actually attracts a mix of females and males. So even if you're targeting women, you're not necessarily ignoring men. I think that's a really important takeaway. So in NBA, WNBA has certainly seen an innovative way for marketers to engage with fans and have actually come out with an expect great theme to support their women. Pretty interesting. We hope to have Nan on the show coming up very soon to give us a snapshot of the Marketing to Women Conference. Until then, let's get right to our purse profile today. It's the Bumble Bag Mama. She's a mother of a newborn, late 20s, early 30s, a stay-at-home mom, part-time employed, 
a household income of uh, over $60,000. She's interested in interior design, healthy food, toys and games for her children, and very into parenting magazines, as you might imagine. There's over 2 million of these women out there. And as I said, interested in fashion, fashion magazines really do help determine the clothes that she buys. She keeps up on the latest fashions and, in fact, goes out and buys the latest fashions every year. She is looking for quality but seeking value, so she's shopping for bargains. Coupons draw her into the stores where she normally wouldn't, wouldn't shop. And she does shop around for price, really for the best price, and she always goes to the clearance rack. Her family does come first. She spends most of her time with her family. And her friends are important, but not as important as family. She does um, really look for control and tidiness, although she says she's not a perfectionist. And she does seek approval from others. She likes to buy what the neighbors approve of, and she's easily swayed by others. The brands that she shops are Babies Are Us, Gap, Pottery Barn, Disney Store, The Limited, Michaels, and Nordstrom. Uh, for cosmetics, L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, uh, Clinique, and Neutrogena. And she's shopping Anne Klein, Calvin Klein, Victoria's Secret, um, and Tommy Hilfiger. When it comes to media, as I said, already into parenting, that's really what she spends the most of her time looking at. Parenting American Baby, Parents Magazine, Working Mother are all tops with her, as are um, Better Homes and Garden, Allure, in style. She's watching TBS, ABC Family, Food Network, HGTV, Nickelodeon, and Disney Channel. Again, very focused on those kids. And online, as you would suspect, FamilyFun.com, Disney.com, eBay, Weather Channel, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Well, my guest for today is Laura Rich. Laura is a journalist and author of a white paper called Shiny New Things that was featured in Ad Age not too terribly long ago. It's all about the power of the early adopter to influence others and why you marketers out there need to know who these people are in your industry. More from Laura when Purse Strings returns after the break. Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping. Her strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit conversioncritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.conversioncritic.com. What is this? Why is my website not ranking higher? Well, sounds like you could use a link building report from SEOfox.com. What's that? 
you can't rank without good backlinks. And SEOfox.com's link building report lets you enter domains and compare their backlinks. It gives a detailed report that shows you why each domain ranks where it does, and it reduces the time it takes to find more links. With SEOfox.com's link building report, you can find more links, use their search marketing services to find more links, or better yet, they could even build your own backlinks. So you think you're pretty sly with that SEO Fox link building report. <laughs> sly like a fox. Get your link building report today at SEOfox.com. That's SEOfox.com. Please welcome your CEO coach. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show custom built to give you everything you need to build your business on the web. From funding to finances, set up to staffing, the CEO coach will break down the art of business development from the ground up by one of the experts of online business growth, management, and development. CEO coach, Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Culture and Business Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And welcome back to First Strings. Joining me today is Laura Rich. Laura is a journalist, blogger, and author of the white paper called Shiny New Things. It was recently featured in Advertising Age where I saw it and read it and was captivated by it. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Now, to tell a little uh, folks out there a little bit about you, you were at Portfolio as an assistant managing editor, and like many, many people out there in the magazine industry, found yourself laid off, and then you went on to launch Recession Wire and blog regularly on your own site, laurarich.com. But it was really the white paper and ad age that got my attention. As I mentioned before, I was quite captivated by it. Shiny New Things actually focuses on the power and influence of early adopters on technologies. And you clearly spent a lot of time digging into that. Why are early adopters so incredibly powerful out there? Sure. Um, Early adopters are incredibly powerful for marketers who want to get their product out there because they're the first ones who are going to set the tone and influence others to uh, adopt those products. And um, there was a researcher who studied this in the 60s, and his theory has held held uh, true ever since then. His name's Everett Rogers, and he was studying hybrid corn seeds, which at the time were kind of new technology. And he found that um, early adopters made up about 13.5% of the population, and if you, if you uh, convince those people to adopt your products, and others would do so as well. Um, so getting that particular group will will pretty much ensure that you're going to sell into the rest of the market. Um, so that, that's part of the reason why they're, they're so they're so powerful. Um, they also they, they also can influence the, the shape of the of the product, um, and you know we, we've seen that with some things. Google is one of them. Um, they've uh, they came out with Google Buzz earlier this year, and some of the early adopters weren't happy with um, how some of their information was being exposed, and so Google quickly fixed it. Um, so that's that's some of the, the power that they have. Now, I know that early adopters, as you said, they they actually make up a certain percentage of the population, but what kind of person actually comprises an early adopter segment? Right. Well, that's kind of interesting because... It's a little bit all over the map and also not what you'd expect. So, you know, when you think of the early adopter, you probably think of, like, 
a really kind of geeky guy who sits in the closet and he's a little bit like a programmer and he's, or, or maybe he's playing video games. Um, that's just not the case. And um, the, the people who measure the population of early adopters really don't agree on how many there are, and I think that's because the definition of an early adopter really does vary. But um, I, I found several sources. I talked to um, Claritas. They, um, they estimated that the population of early adopters is about 20, 27% of the whole entire population, um, which seems a little high. And then I talked to MapQuest. They said the population is about 15%. And MarQuest, um, Bridge Ratings is another one. They estimated it at 2.5% of the population. So th the thing is that um, the early adopters of today tend to be a little bit more sophisticated buyers have disposable income. They, you know, they have the income that allows them to try out new products like the iPad or um, other Apple products like the iPhone, which are which are not cheap. So um, they have to have some disposable income to do that. Others are not necessarily buying these new products, but they do have influence. But they do tend to be um, sort of more successful and. Uh, you know, sort of uh, have higher income than you would kind of expect and, be, and to be a little more mainstream as well. And when it comes to men or women, I know I was looking at your um, your report and it, it does tend to skew one over the other. Yeah, it does. It, well, it, in, it does tend to skew a little more towards men, um, just slightly. However, when you look at certain products, uh, women women are more likely to be early adopters. Products that will improve their lives, like home networking or Wi-Fi. Um, the iPhone, I don't, I don't have actually the latest figures on that, but the iPhone, especially with the apps, has, um, has been a slightly more of a female product than male. So, um, and that's seen as because it helps to improve our lives. And it's, it's not just sort of a cool gadget, it's useful. Um, so that's, that's, that's part of it in terms of male, male and female. And then also when you look at, like, um, when you get into sort of ethnic um, differences, um, mobile generally tends to have a slightly higher um, population of Hispanic and African Americans than you'd expect, um, I suppose, um, in um, adopting mobile technology. Um, Interesting. So that's, that's sort of how it breaks, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, you clearly know who they are, right, and kind of uh, the profile of an early adopter. But for marketers out there who are listening today, I mean, how, how do we identify them, reach them, and then more importantly, continue to track them and figure out where they're going and who they're influencing? Right. So, um, you know, it all starts with, like, sort of knowing your target, target market, right, and then finding the loudest voices, in a way. You know, today's early adopter is going to be a big user of Twitter. They're probably going to blog and um, maybe have a, a, a Tumblr and Facebook and LinkedIn and have big followers, um, people who care a lot about what they say. So, um, you know, so it's, it's finding those people sort of with the loudest voices or the most followers, um, you know, sort of developing relationships with them in a very genuine way. Um, not kind of a mass email after these people, but really knowing who they are as individuals and connecting with them. Um, developing personal relationships will make all the difference in the world. One early adopter I talked to, Louis Gray, um, 
he blogs at lewisgray.com, and he talked about how he didn't name the marketer, but how, um, you know, he had received a mass email, and it sort of uh, set a bad tone for him. He said he wouldn't necessarily go and bash that marketer, but he wasn't as likely to get on board with their new product as a result. So um, that's part of it. And then tracking them is sort of the same way as finding them, you know, keeping up with what they're talking about on Twitter, on their blog, and in any other social media forum that they may be in. Now, clearly, by tracking them, listening in, watching them, companies are going to get a lot of information from early adopters. Do you feel that it's incumbent on companies to let those people know that you're using information gathered gathered from them, or and especially if you engage them and they offer feedback? Right. Well, that's definitely part of the goodwill factor, which, which um, developing the personal relationships is also a part of. And letting them know that they had some influence will, will, you know, will lead to goodwill and they'll be more likely to talk about your product. Um, again, I'll mention Lewis Gray. He talks about how um, he's a big user of Google Reader and he was a little frustrated with how it was organized. And so he wrote about what they might do to um, organize the product better. And... Um, I think it was a few days later he got a comment on his on that particular blog, blog post from somebody at Google who said, you know what, we were talking about this over the weekend, so, um, and, and we're going to address this. So the, the commenter, the Google executive, implied that they, they were looking, well, said that they were looking at it, and, and it's not clear that, that the uh, idea for it necessarily came from Lewis Gray, and it, it may not have, but the fact that he was sort of in, in step with them um, and that they let him know, um, kept him as a loyal user and advocate of that product. And he also mentioned LinkedIn was another one where he had made a suggestion. He never got any feedback, um, but he did notice that they, they implemented his suggestion. Um, so he still feels good about it, even though he didn't get direct feedback. But, you know, it's, it's just all part of the goodwill thing to give, give, uh, keep that communication channel open in both directions. Um, as much as possible. I loved him as an example when reading about him. It was clear he was highly motivated by the idea that he could impact businesses and products just by his connection and his thoughts, even though he may, to your point, may not have gotten direct feedback, but he was clearly motivated to engage in this way because he felt like he could actually have influence. Right, right. And, um, And I think you see that even among people who may not um, may not have you know a direct channel of communication from the company. I mean, I think if you look at um, at Apple and when it first came out with the iPhone and um, the price was somewhere around six hundred five hundred six hundred dollars and um, and then it came out later much cheaper, and a lot of the early adopters of the iPhone were very upset and they made a lot of noise about it and they got um, vouchers. Um, $100 vouchers as a result, and also Steve Jobs wrote this sort of open letter, um, not exactly in the couple, but kind of explaining why they made it. And I think that um, that sort of, you know, that kind of communication with the early adopters meant that they would, you know, they'd remain, um, you know, advocates of the Apple products as a result. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Laura, I would love to talk a little bit about what happens if companies actually ignore early adopters. What are the ramifications of that? So more on 
Laura Rich and Shiny New Things and insight based on early adopters when purse strings returns in just a moment. Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping. Purse strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. This is a test of the PR Web content and news delivery system from PR Web and PRWebAuthor.com. If this was a real release date, your story would reach more than 30,000 journalists, 250,000 RSS subscribers, and just over 30,000 unique websites. PR Web can reach your target audience online, drive traffic to your website, achieve high rankings on search engines, and get your content on top news sites like Yahoo News. Editors are available 24-7 to help you optimize your content for Maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the U.S. alone. If this were a real PR web release date, your website would have so much traffic, you'd be tempted to duck and cover. If you have an online marketing emergency, go to prwebauthor.com for 25% off. PR Web, the premier online release news and content distribution service. How would you like to not ever have to deal with a gatekeeper again? Can't find the direct contact for the decision maker? Stop calling the main directory because now there's Lead Researcher from eGrabber, the one-stop source for finding contact information online. eGrabber finds email addresses or lets you find people with their email address. Just look up a company name and eGrabber gives you a complete list of names, IDs, email addresses, and phone numbers that you need fast. Think of the time that you'll save with Lead Researcher. Learn more about Lead Researcher at www.egrabber.com slash WMR. That's egrabber.com slash WMR. Friend Finder. Friend Finder. The world's largest online dating network. Featuring over 100 million profiles. At hot sites such as Passion.com and FastCupid.com. Represents enormous profit-making opportunities for webmasters just like you. With, with Friend Finder's ability to geo-target and provide billing solutions in most languages and currencies, you are sure to find our comprehensive network to be a good friend to your wallet. wallet. Get more traffic-maximizing details now at FriendFinder.com. Mobile Presence, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And welcome back. Joining me today is Laura Rich, a journalist, blogger, and author of a white paper called Shiny New Things, recently featured featured in Advertising Age. And Laura and I have been talking about um, early adopters, who they are, how you might be able to track them, interact with them, and kind of what they're motivated by. And Laura, I'm curious, what happens if companies choose to ignore early adopters, just don't really even consider what early adopters are talking about out there? Right. Well, you know, a, I think a big part of it is that by ignoring them, um, you just you simply have to spend more. Your marketing budget has to increase. Um, you know, early adopters are sort of free marketing as long as you get it right. Um, and so, so you know, finding these people, appealing to them, and getting the word out through them will definitely save you a lot of money. Um, and then um, the other part of it, ignoring them. Um, they, you know, they have a big uh, mouthpiece, and as much as that can be useful when they like your product, it can also um, it can also hurt when they don't like your product. And so, what I think I think a lot of marketers are realizing that, and they're paying a lot of attention to the chatter that's on 
things like Twitter and um, responding to it right away. One of the early adopters that I talked to, um, a PR executive in New York, his name is Matthew Caldecott, he wasn't very happy with AT&T's service. He has a lot of followers on Twitter. He went to Twitter. He complained about them. Um, in this case, AT&T did not ignore, them, ignore him and did get back to him and, uh, you know, offer to help him with his service, and he then um, wrote some nice things about AT&T back on his feet. So um, that's... That's a that's that's definitely definitely a big part of it. Um, paying attention to what's out there. And, and beyond AT and T, what other companies out there have done a good job, in your opinion, of engaging early early adopters successfully and really utilizing those learnings? You mentioned a few before the break um, that were influenced potentially by Lewis Gray, but are there are there other companies out there that you think are good models? Well, I mean, I, I, I always go back to Google because I just think they have done such a good job. I mean, they kind of invented the, the beta stamp on a product, and I think that that has been just so genius because it gives them cover for working things out and saying, you know, we're in this stage where we want your feedback. And um, so, you know, your, your beta also, um, by rolling out some of their products to in an invitation-only kind of way, like Gmail and I think Google Wave, um, and Chrome, their browser, um, that also that makes early adopters feel special, and it also signals that they do want, that the companies do want feedback, um, and that's, um, so I, I think that they've done an amazing job. Um, Apple is also fascinating because they've been able to appeal to the early adopter market without, um, without doing anything really special for early adopters. I mean, they... They come out with a product that they say is done and finished. They don't necessarily say they want feedback, and yet they have people lining up at their stores to buy their products. And, and uh, you know, in that case, it's just by getting getting the product right and coming out, you know, sort of knowing in advance what people will want. But um, so, uh, so Apple has anticipated their market well. Google says we're open to, to what you're going to tell us. And I think Google's done a, done a great job. They're my favorite in terms of, you know, appealing to early adopters. Well, any un- unsuccessful examples out there? Um, any attempts to engage early adopters? And as you said, you even when you do engage early adopters, there's no guarantee they're going to like your product. Are there implications that we should consider of ill-fated efforts to really engage early adopters? Well, I will mention one. I'm, it's, it's a Google thing. So as much as I love Google, they, <laughs> they, um, they, did, they did mess up when it came to um, Google Buzz, which came out earlier this year. I'm not sure if I already mentioned them. But um, they, you know, I mean, they, they did respond to it and they fixed it. But they're, um, you know, it's sort of not the killer product that they had hoped it would be. And what it, what it is is a, um, it's sort of their version of a social network based on your contacts, and they created like an auto, auto-created auto social network which pulled um, other sort of Google activities by your contacts into uh, a feed for you. And um, that, that exposed a lot of people's contacts um, publicly, and um, that upset a lot of people. So, um, so they, they, they didn't do that quite right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so in that case, you know, they, they kind of were the opposite of the usual Google, and they were pulling a little bit more of a Facebook in that situation. Google usually says, okay, we've got this out there and give us feedback. In this case, they said that, but at the same time, it was a, it was a little bit too much action before getting the feedback. 
Yeah, that's a big whoops. That's a big miss. Absolutely. Great example. Um, final question today before we run out of time. You know, you, you gave a good description kind of of that early adopter profile at the beginning of the show. Do you feel like that they'll, the early adopter segment will continue to grow as our population grows and as we get more familiar and comfortable with technology, especially with younger audiences? Do you feel like we'll have more and more early adopters out there? I do. I do think we'll have more early adopters out there. I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with age. In fact, it may be the opposite of what we expect. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the younger demographics. They just don't have the disposable income for it. I think it's going to continue to be the slightly older users. But by that, it could, you know, that could be, you know, in their 20s and up. But it's not necessarily going to be kind of the teens or college market, you know, not that, that young. You just, you need, you know, if you're going to buy Apple products or the new Google phone, you need to be able to afford it. Um, or, you know, the newest game console. Um, you know, in some cases, you know, parents will be getting that. But, again, it will be the parents who will be buying it, not not the kids. So I do think that we'll, we'll continue as we become more comfortable with technology. Um, it will be more likely that people will take risks um, as long as it's, it, it fits with their interests. If it's women, it's got to be things that are useful and of service to their lives. And if it's men, the same may hold true, but it may also include things that are sort of like the cool gadget category thing. So, yeah, I think we're definitely going to see more early adopters, and they'll continue to grow in importance. Laura, thanks so much for being on the show today. Clearly, early adopters is a segment that we need to be paying close attention to, following and engaging and extracting whatever insight we can from them because they're the, kind of the super users of our products out there. And the, the more we can learn from them, clearly the better. Thanks so much for your thoughtful white paper on shiny new things. Great. Thanks. 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 Great to be here. Thanks. And uh, for folks out there who want to read uh, Laura's blog and learn more about Laura, check out laurarich.com. And thanks to my producer, George, for another great show. Join me right here next Tuesday, 3 o'clock, when I will be speaking with Sally Hogshead. She's the author of a brand new book called Fascinate, Your Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. Find out what they are, how you can identify your seven triggers, and how to use them to your business advantage. And perhaps more importantly, how not to let them become your Achilles heel. That's right here next Tuesday on another edition of Purse Strings. Until then, make it a great one. 